Will you please turn with me in your Bibles this morning to the Gospel according to Matthew, where we are going to be reading from the 11th chapter, beginning with verse 25 and reading through verse 30. That's Matthew 11, 25 through 30. You can find that passage on page 956 in your pew Bibles. One of the implications of being those who see the precious truth of the gospel by faith is that we are now free to be comforted, to live in joyful worship before the face of Almighty God, to rest in the truth that truly Jesus has indeed paid it all. We can now rest fully and entirely, completely in him. And this morning, I would like to consider that last one this morning, resting. You know, we live in a day when the very idea of rest seems to be a foreign concept for many, if not for most of us. We, most of our lives, we fly around from task to task to task, wondering why there couldn't be just one or two or maybe even ten more hours in a day so that we could get everything done. We are continually consumed with things like our careers, our education. We are rushing around, taking our children from one event to the next, always late, always in a hurry, never quite able to be just one step ahead of the game. Our schedules and our calendars are always filled to the point of bursting. And yet somehow, we're still able to find ways to take away from one thing and always make time for just one more thing to do. And so we think, who really has time for rest? And of course, It's not the only kind of rest that comes to mind, rest from our overall busyness. We all have mortgages that need to be paid, jobs and wages which have been downsized or cut out entirely. And we sit sort of helplessly watching this troubled economy continuing to crumble before our eyes. We watch the troubling news unfolding in our communities, in the nation. We anxiously wonder, when is it all going to turn around? For some of us, it's our jobs that trouble us. For others, it's watching our children fall into the same sin that we fell into at one time. Watching as they, in their ignorance, continue sowing the wind while we know all too well exactly what they will be reaping. For others, it's advancing age and declining health, both in ourselves and in those whom we love. Money, marital problems, troubled consciences, national debt, rising interest rates, the healthcare mess, natural disasters, the stock market, the heinous nature of our sin, our own personal failures, our addictions, our churches, our pastors, our schools, our governments. You get the point, right? 
to even just begin to list out the things that cause us anxiety in this life. The worries that make up such a large part of our lives. We would need far more time than just the time allotted for a weekly sermon to do that, wouldn't we? To really do them any justice. Because the truth is, we seem to feel that we just must worry. Yet again and again in Scripture, we find ourselves being told the opposite. That we need not worry. That we need be anxious for nothing. We are encouraged in the words of the psalmist to cast all of our cares upon the Lord. The Apostle Paul in his letter to the Philippians says in chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which passes all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Jesus himself talked about our being anxious for nothing and is, of course, named in Scripture as the Prince of Peace. We know this. We believe this. And so when we find ourselves consumed with our own weariness from living out our days under the sun, when we see clearly that we are stressed, that our anxiety is real, what are we as Christians to do? Well, often we think, well, I'll just, I'll just pray that I won't be anxious anymore. And then we open our eyes and we think, nope, I'm still anxious. Well, then I'll just read scripture for the next half hour. 30 minutes later, we close our Bibles wondering how we are ever supposed to read anything when we have so much on our minds. So we think, what could Jesus have meant when he said that I could have rest? And knowing that our situations are real and that they're not going to change anytime soon, we try to explain that, of course, Jesus must have meant that I'm going to have rest someday. You know, in the future. When this body of sin is finally done away with, when I'm resting in the security of my place in glory, where I'm continually worshiping before the Lamb upon His throne for eternity. I mean, Jesus could not have meant that my life here in this fallen body, in this fallen world, could actually be one of rest, right? I mean, sin just won't allow it, right? He must have been talking about a future rest, so I'm going to comfort myself now by waiting on, anticipating that rest. That will be my comfort. We still don't feel any better, do we? Of course, we know that all the wonderful realities of heaven certainly do await us in glory. But is that what Jesus meant? That rest was simply a future hope? And that for now, you and I just need to grin and bear it, that we just need to to dig deep and be real stoics? Somehow, during all the trials, all the tribulations of life, we just need to keep a stiff upper lip? We just need to never let them see us sweat. Well, beloved, I want to tell you this morning, I don't think so. In fact, I know that that's not so. 
And I hope that that is good news to the weary and heavy laden among us this morning. Because though we certainly do anticipate a future rest and glory, we are told by Jesus Christ very clearly that he will give us rest right now. The solution to our anxieties will not be found in a methodology of somehow ridding our lives of all of the anxious situations. There will not be found in this sermon a 12-step program for you to follow to cure your life of anxiety and to find rest that way. Rather, it is my hope that by looking at these six verses which are before us this morning, that we will see very clearly that there is a reason for our rest, which alone ought to be enough to move the people of God towards living lives that truly reflect genuine joy and actual rest, comfort, on this side of glory. In these verses, Jesus gives to his sheep a reason to rest. So let's look together at the word of God this morning. I ask that you follow along as I read Matthew chapter 11, again, picking up with verse 25, reading through the end of the chapter with verse 30. Hear now the word of our Lord. At that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, You have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and have revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, for so it seemed good in your sight. All things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Come to me. All you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is the word of our Lord. May he always bless the reading of it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, we're grateful for the opportunity to sit under the preaching of your word. We pray, Father, that you would clear our hearts and our minds of the countless things that distract us in this life, that we would give our undivided attention to your word, and that through the power of your spirit, we would see these things and know these things and be led to trust you more. Father, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I've already mentioned that we have before us just six short verses from the Gospel of Matthew. However, I want to tell you that the message that is contained within those verses has filled volumes upon volumes of books. It really is the very message of hope and peace and rest for the true follower of Jesus Christ. And this morning, I would like to point out to you just a few things that I think we see here pertaining to genuine rest in the Lord Jesus Christ. Contained in these verses are not only the gospel message, the good news of who Jesus is and what he will, or in fact, what he has already done, but also we see here what the frame or the state of mind of the one is who comes to Jesus seeking rest for his or her wearied soul. And in all of it, we also begin to catch a glimpse here of the magnificent 
majesty of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as always, beloved, it's my hope in considering these verses that it will lead us to further reflection upon the goodness of Almighty God throughout the remainder of this day of rest, as well as the days, even the weeks that are still to come. So the first thing I think we see here is the frame of the one who comes to Jesus Christ seeking rest. Jesus begins his discourse here praising the Father. And you see here that his praise is not at all general. Rather, it is very, very specific. And the reason for his praise is that the Father, the Lord of heaven and earth, has hidden these things, these things of God or the things of God from the wise and the prudent, and he has revealed them to babies or what he calls babes. And he did it or he does it according to his own perfect and eternal will. Throughout scripture, we see this. It is the sovereignty of almighty God that determines who will be called and exactly when and how they are called and never the wisdom of flawed men making such determinations. The gospel is hidden from the eyes of those who consider themselves to be wise and prudent. One does not come to God through his own stellar ability to reason. You cannot educate yourself into faith, true faith. There is, in fact, no work, no thing that you can do to somehow earn from God the calling unto eternal life in Jesus Christ. He's not looking for the ones who through sheer grit and determination and hard work have picked themselves up by their proverbial bootstraps. The one who's using superior intellect and human philosophy and has proved logically that God is in fact real. And so now deserves to be called. Beloved, you cannot force God to act. He acts according to his perfect will. He does what seems right in his sight, being rightness himself. He is God, and he alone is sovereign. You understand what we mean by that. We talk about sovereignty all the time. There is nothing that is outside of his realm of control. That's what we mean by sovereignty. So what does this say then about the one who comes to God seeking rest? What distinguishing characteristic is always found in the one knowing the sovereignty of Almighty God, knowing the deep depths of their own sin? knowing the awful offenses that they have committed against God's most high holiness, knowing that only they, they, they recognize that they are weary, that they are burdened, that they cannot do a single thing to ease their weariness or their burden. What state does that person come to the Prince of Peace in while seeking rest? Well, by the grace of God, beloved, they come in God-given humility because of his grace. 
You understand, humility is part of God's mercy. And scripture has many examples of it. Right? We, we recently looked at one in Mark. You remember the Syrophoenician woman? Mark chapter 7. She came to the only one who could heal her daughter's troubled heart and mind. She set her eyes on Jesus Christ. And she would not be deterred by any of the disciples or anyone else for that matter. Anyone who would dare to try to get her to remove her gaze from the Messiah. She was genuinely humble. She knew that if left to what she deserved, she would find only condemnation for her innumerable shortcomings. But by the grace of God, she set her eyes in humility on Jesus Christ, the merciful one. And she pleaded for mercy from the giver of grace and she would not be deterred. So we, we need to understand that humility always precedes rest. You understand? Think for a moment about what it is that causes us so much anxiety. Why do we worry? Why are we so carried away with worry, even to the point of making ourselves physically sick? Why do we do it? It's born out of fear and pride. We fear things when they seem to be outside of the realm of our control. And so we desperately look for solutions that will regain the control and put it right back into our incapable hands. We think higher of ourselves and our abilities than we ought to. We fall victim to the monstrous sin of pride. We begin to trust in ourselves, to be self-dependent, despite what we know our own track records to be. We take pride in the ridiculous, and then we wonder aloud why it is that we're still so afraid, and we still feel so desperate. We take pride in our intellectual capabilities. We take pride in our perceptions, albeit false perceptions of our own righteousness. We take pride in our ability to accumulate wealth and then we look to God and we wonder, why is it that I can't rest? Why is it that I have no peace? We place our trust in all of the wrong things and we just sort of wring our hands as we wait for God to deliver us. Beloved, only God is sovereign. And Jesus said that the gospel is revealed to babies. Do you know what babies are? I hope so. Normally we're filled with babies here, right? We know what babies are. They are dependent upon their parents for giving them everything that is necessary for sustaining their lives. They are helpless on their own. They have no misconceptions that their food and their nourishment will come from the strength of their own tiny baby arms. They have no concerns that they will be seen as needy in the eyes of everyone else. They're too simple to put on masks like you and I do. 
They trust that their needs will be met by the ones who so obviously love them, who come when they cry out. I won't push it so far as to say that babies are humble. I've had enough of them in my house to know that they're really not, but I trust you get the point, right? When we come to Jesus Christ for rest, we have no misconceptions about what we are bringing to and expecting of the sovereign God of the universe because we have nothing to offer. And when our misery, we have nothing to offer except our helplessness, our, our weakness, our, our sin and our shame, we bring those. And when our misery is alleviated through the Holy Spirit giving us eyes that see Jesus Christ, for who and what he is, then we joyfully fall on our faces and we praise our Redeemer whom we trust. Dependence. We have no misgivings about our so-called worth. But humbled by our sin and humbled by the gracious gift of salvation, we look to the Lord Jesus Christ and we find rest for the weariness that makes up this life. Beloved, do you see that? Do you believe that? The mark of the weary yet contented pilgrim is that he is humble. He is content to lean on the everlasting arms of the Savior and to trust in his worth, his work, his value. He comes to Jesus as one who is not impressed by his own abilities to get things, to to get himself there in the first place. I'm asking you, beloved, do you believe that this morning about yourself? I'm gonna ask you a question that I've asked you a thousand times in my years of ministry here. Why are you here? Why are you here this morning? Why do you come here week after week singing praises, bowing your head in prayer, feeding upon the word of God? Because if you're here for any other reason than to praise the God who has elected in his loving mercy to save a wretch just like you. To feed you by his holy word, to strengthen your faith through the gospel and the administration of the sacraments. Then ask yourself this morning, if it's not for that reason, why do you come? Does your pride drive you to come week in and week out? Do you mistakenly hold up your restlessness as piety? You know what that looks like, right? You worry because you know you're prudent. Only a fool doesn't worry. You stress and you grumble and you take matters into your own hands because you know somebody has to do something. Beloved, listen to the word of God and repent and find rest for your soul this morning. Never be content with false humility and a false representation of rest because they won't comfort you. Stop believing the lie that you are something in and of yourself and in true humility, run into the arms of Jesus who alone is everything that you could ever need. So long as you approach Jesus Christ thinking yourself to be something when you are nothing, you will never see him as he is. You will never find rest 
He reveals the healing balm of the gospel to babies. How is it that you approach Jesus Christ in this life? Genuine rest will come to those who because of their union with Jesus Christ know with confidence that united to him by faith, they now have a value that far exceeds anything they could ever earn for themselves in this life. The second thing I think we see here very clearly in this wonderful prayer of Jesus to the Father is the absolute majesty of the Lord Jesus Christ that's displayed for us here. Have you ever considered it? And again, it contributes to our resting in Him in who He is and what He's done. We can only just barely scrape the surface of the glorious things that are here in this prayer made manifest to us. We see Jesus speaking of that perfect union which exists between the first and the second persons of the Trinity. We see Jesus speak of Himself here in terms which place Him leagues above any mere man that has ever walked this earth. Speaking of Himself in the closest possible relationship to the Father, even saying that it is He the Son that reveals, that wills to reveal the glory of the Godhead to man. There are truths here that we can only just see the surface of and we confess that there are things spoken of here which are well beyond our abilities as finite creatures to ever fully comprehend. We have had some aspects of the glorious Godhead made known to us, revealed to us in the Word of God. Yet we know that there is more that is far, far above us that will only be revealed when we see our King face to face in glory. However, we still see enough to draw real hope and real peace and true rest from, don't we? Even now. Right now, while we still exist in this fallen flesh with all of its fallen inclinations, we see such majesty as we see here with Jesus Christ. And we can rest knowing that we are in his sovereign, omnipotent hands. Everything that concerns us, everything that concerns our salvation has been placed in his hands. It is to him that we fly. And in him we have far more than we could ever fathom. He is the door according to scripture. It's only through Jesus Christ embraced through God-given faith that we can actually be reconciled to the Father. He is the great shepherd who always hears the voices of his sheep. He is the great physician who alone can cure everything that ails us. He is the very bread of life. And he calls us to feed upon him. He is the light of lights, which alone rends the darkness asunder and lights the paths before our feet. He is the one and only fountain where we are cleansed from the guilt and pollution of our sin and covered in the perfect, righteous blood of Jesus Christ. We may not know all, beloved. But what has been revealed to us by the grace of Almighty God is much more than just sufficient to give rest to those who seek it in Jesus Christ alone. 
when we have been humbled by the grace of God, when we have seen ourselves as the the vile sinners that we are, and we then glimpse the majesty of Christ, who has redeemed us from all the power of the devil through his blood, when we see that we have every reason in the world to breathe and to rest. Do you see it? It is the gift of faith alone that allows us to see past ourselves, past our troubles, past our trials, past our anxieties, to the glory of Almighty God and say with joy, I will rest in you. I trust you far more even than what I can perceive with my own eyes and my own vain imagination. The Holy Spirit allows for you and I to see our sin and our desperate need for redemption. Having humbled us, God in his mercy turns us towards Jesus and his perfect work of redemption. And we like children see our absolute dependence upon him and we celebrate it. We trust him more. Beloved, Do you believe it? It's only through him that we can find forgiveness. It's only through him that we can be reconciled to the Father. We only have our sin and our misery to bring. And yet he gives us eternal life and every blessing in Jesus Christ. We are now, having been united to his life, his death, his resurrection by faith, We are now, according to the word of God, seated with him in heavenly places. Do you understand? You see, real resting in this life doesn't come from knowing how to activate some formula for peace and rest, but from knowing how to force God into action on your behalf, from following certain steps. It's not found in deciphering a a hidden or clever code in the Bible to serve as your latest how-to book. It comes from knowing Almighty God through the revelation of himself and his word and having that revelation embraced through his gift of faith, knowing that leads to trusting. Beloved, rest comes when we, by the grace of God, through the operation of the Holy Spirit, see past ourselves, past our misery. And we see Jesus Christ in majesty as he has revealed himself to us. Do you see him? And if Jesus left it here, we would probably agree that we have more than just sufficient reason to find some hope in this life. At least I I hope we would. But he gives us more than just hope. He gives us rest. Look at those last three verses. Jesus says, Come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Beloved, the third and final observation I would point out to you this morning is that The sinner who has been humbled, who has been a witness to the majesty of Jesus, 
that one hears these words and can with joy consider the immeasurable scope and the magnificent fullness of the gospel of Jesus Christ and all that it implies, not simply in the future, in glory, but right now, this morning. A sinner who has been given eyes to see and who is weary and heavy laden with sin and with the cares of this world hears these words of their Savior and they find rest even while in this body of flesh. These words are the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You who are laden with a load to bear, come. You who are lost in your sin, come. You have been humbled by a realization of just how far you actually are from the perfect standard of God's holy law. Come. You who are hopeless, even now, drowning in the despair of your latest tribulation and trial, come. Do you understand what Jesus is saying? You who have realized that you just cannot make yourself good enough through all of your labor, come. You who have fallen again and again and again and again, come and I will give you rest. Brothers and sisters in Christ, if you belong to Jesus, I trust that this message never gets old to you. I trust that it is music to your childlike ears this morning. Indeed, that it is music to your soul every day of your life. Jesus says, come and do nothing other than trust in his ability to save you from sin, death, and the devil. That's why he came. Trust in his ability. Trust in his willingness to teach you. Trust in his ability to give you what you will never get through any other lesser means. Rest for your soul. Your weary soul, your tired body, your tired mind. He does not address those who feel as if they're already in the camp. Those who have already achieved righteousness through their work or at least think that they have. Those who feel themselves to be up to the task and and be worthy to be in front of him. No, he addresses those who have come finally to the end of themselves. Those who have found self-sufficiency to be a fool's errand. Those who have tasted the fruitlessness of all of their labor. Those who cannot fool themselves for another day that they could actually get the work done. Beloved, he's talking to sinners. Sinners like you. Sinners like me. He's talking to those of us who feel a real present weight on our hearts. Who would only desire freedom from our load of sin and guilt and misery. He's talking to those of us who've been swept away by our anxieties and the deep regrets that we carry every day of our lives because of our failures and the offenses that we have committed against the most high majesty of God. He's talking to those who have recognized their sin by the grace of God, regardless of what your past life has been. 
Whether you have been a poser who has hidden behind a mask of morality your entire life, or you have considered what you consider to be the equivalent of murder, Jesus bids you come and find rest in him. You've not invented a sin that can keep you away. There is no load you can bring that's too much for your Savior. There's no amount of sin that his righteous blood will not make perfectly clean. Jesus says, come to me, you who are sinful. You who are feeling loaded down by this life. You feel that way because you belong to me. So come. And in me you will find rest for your soul. Beloved, that's the gospel, right? He saves you despite you, not because of you. You are pronounced just based not upon your flawed and tarnished work, but upon his perfect spotless work. And so he says, take my yoke because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I am God. Peace is ours when we realize this fact. By faith, we can, along with the Apostle Paul, joyfully believe and proclaim what Paul says in Romans 8, those well-known verses, 35 through 39. I want to leave them sort of ringing in our ears this morning. What shall separate from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword. As it is written, for your sake, we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Beloved, if you came in here dragging your load of worry and fear this morning, I want to ask you, do you believe that? Those inspired words of Paul about the effects of the gospel of Jesus Christ, about the truth of your situation in the eyes of God, that there is nothing created, nothing under heaven that could separate you from the love of God given to you in the person and work of Jesus Christ. I'm asking you, do you believe it? Because if it's true, and if God is for you, what could ever stand against you? The word of God says nothing. There is nothing in this life that can get between you and your blessed Redeemer, Jesus Christ, and those who by faith belong to him. In the face of that, I ask you, where is the room left for our anxieties? Where is there room left for us to cling to our fears and our uncertainties? 
Wherever you have been called in this life by the providence of God, whatever you've been called by God to endure in this life, whatever trials, whatever tribulations, the truth is you belong to Jesus. He purchased you at the exorbitant cost of his blood. He redeemed you from the power of sin and he promised never, ever to let you go. If God is for you, who could be against you? Beloved, if by the grace of God you have trusted in Jesus Christ and faith alone for your salvation, I'm asking you, which trial is it? Which tribulation is it that could ever change the only thing that ultimately matters, your status as the child of God? Do you hear the word of God? Because, beloved, if you do, by the grace of God, rest. Trust entirely upon the Lord Jesus Christ and his perfect work for you and rest in him. There is no formula. You are called to know the God who is near. The God who has revealed himself in his word. The God who became incarnate in the person of Jesus Christ. Know him and knowing him, trust him and rest in him alone. Amen.